This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, and welcome to the webcast entitled WWE First Quarter Earnings. We have just a few announcements before we begin. If you're listening through a phone line, you may ask a question verbally by pressing star then one on your touchtone phone. If you wish to be removed from the queue, please press star two. Today's call is being recorded. I will now turn the call over to Michael White, SVP, Financial Planning and Investor Relations. Please go ahead, Michael. Thank you and good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to our first quarter 2020 earnings conference call. Leading today's discussion are Vince McMahon, our chairman and CEO, as well as Frank Riddick, our interim chief financial officer. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. As you obviously know, our Q1 performance uh, was pretty strong. We it exceeded our rescinded guidance uh, in a pretty, pretty challenging environment. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting on demand from Buffalo, New York. Today is April 24th, 2020, deep into the time of coronavirus. It is 12 years to the day since my enlistment, and I've now been out of the military as long as I was in it. Wow. But yesterday was WWE's Q1 report. Q1, the period covering January, February, and March 2020. WWE released SEC documents, an earnings release, KPIs, trending schedules. They held a conference call at 5 p.m. Eastern. And I'll be walking you through everything we learned on Thursday, breaking it down into terms that, yes, even you can understand. We'll talk about WWE's profitability, the future of the 10-year deal with Saudi Arabia, the future of the WWE Network. All in all, is a pretty great day for shareholder value. The market has closed with WWE stock up almost 15% on the day to $44.79. The stock price now back in the range where it was before Vince McMahon fired George Barrows and Michelle Wilson, apparently. So we'll break down everything we learned from the Q1 report. But first, some quick news from other areas. Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful confirms that AEW... We'll be returning to live taping in two weeks. I hope they have their magic disinfecting spray ready. More magic disinfectant spray later in the program. Former XFL CFO Oliver Luck has filed a lawsuit against Vince McMahon in the Connecticut District Court. The complaint on record is heavily redacted. But it appears that Mr. Luck was fired by Vince McMahon just before the XFL filed for bankruptcy. The complaint, however, does make it clear that Oliver Luck is suing not Alpha Entertainment, the parent company of XFL, but Vince McMahon himself. Maybe it's just the fact that it's much easier to collect money against somebody who has money instead of a company that doesn't and is filed for bankruptcy. So let's just dive right into WQ1 stuff. Let's go to the big picture first and talk about profitability, the hardcore finances. If you remember, at the Q4 report on February 6th, WWE gave guidance, that is a projection of what their finances, what their performance would be like for Q1. WWE gave guidance that their adjusted OIDA, which is their favorite profit metric, which is not a gap measure, 
that it is, it is, is not a generally accepted accounting principle way of measuring profit, but it is the profit measure that they prefer. W does report other gap measures, though, like net income and operating income. But anyway, W projected a adjusted OEBDA of between $60 million and $65 million for Q1. Of course, those, that, that was in the simple days of February 2020. Then on March 12th, WB withdrew its Q1 and full year guidance like many companies did. And they said that that guidance that we told you about before, forget about it because it might be way different now because of COVID-19 and the pandemic that's underway across the world. WB didn't give any updated guidance, just withdrew the guidance that they gave earlier. Then, as you probably know, on April 15th, WWE announced that they were incurring a number of cost-cutting measures, cutting executive board compensation, postponing their move to their headquarters, and most memorably, cutting a number of talent and employees. Of course, that cost-cutting happened on April 15th. That's in Q2, so it won't have an effect on Q1, unless COVID-19 restrictions did start to take effect in the middle of March. That is in Q1. So yesterday, April 23rd, WWE reported... It had achieved adjusted OEBDA of $77 million, more than the 60 to $65 million that they had projected earlier. If you're interested in actual gap measures of profit, WWE's operating income for Q1, $53 million. WWE's net income for Q1, $26 million. So WWE is about halfway to its annual record for operating income and about a quarter of the way to its net income annual record. Three more quarters to go in 2020. But what, what did the consensus of analysts who cover WWE stock expect in terms of revenue or in terms of net income? The EPS expected, that is the earnings per share expected, was 25 cents. What the hell does that mean? That basically implies that, that the average analyst expected a net income of $22 million. They reported $26 million. They outdid the analysts' expectations for WWE's profit. What did the analysts expect? For revenue, analysts expected for revenue $265 million. Well, WWE reported $291 million in revenue. WWE outperformed its expectations, outperformed the guidance that it had given earlier, and the stock price skyrocketed consequentially in aftermarket trading and in trading today on Friday. Again, that stock price up about 15%, $44.79, almost $45. So why? How is it? that WWE could outperform its profit guidance that it had given earlier. How could it be that WWE was more profitable in Q1 than it had expected in the middle of Q1 when it gave that guidance in February? Well, it's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Probably because, because of the virus, because WWE couldn't run any events in the second half of March, they had to cancel 18 events, they report. And that's actually a money savings. How do we know this? Because if you look at the live events division for Q1, with the 41 events that WWE was able to do, that division lost $3.2 million in operating income on 41 events, not running an additional 18 events, which on the aggregate probably would have lost even more money. WWE was more profitable, perhaps, than they expected. But what else? Six Raw and SmackDown tapings happened not on the road, not in major sports arenas that cost a lot of money to run, to load in, to load out but at the Performance Center in Orlando, a building that already belongs to WWE, that doesn't require a lot of loading in and loading out, that doesn't have to be held with an additional lease. In fact, Vince even made it clear on the call that 
it's much cheaper to produce TV are the Performance Center. Great. Thanks for taking my question. Is there a good way to think about the net impact of the change to Raw and SmackDown pre and post COVID-19 on a per show OIBDA basis? So if I think about the uh, benefits that you would get on the cost side from having it just be in Orlando at your performance center relative to the loss of uh, live event attendance and the loss of live event merchandise spend. Well, I think that um, obviously the cost is nowhere near uh, the differential in terms of a live event you know, at an arena uh, and what we're doing you know, at the performance center. We, we hardly have to change anything, you know, the uh, trons are in one location, the stage is in one location, so there's not much at all moving anything in or moving anything out. So that saves a, a lot of money. So it, you can look at it that way, but at the same time, you know, our audience, need, we need an audience. Everyone does too, but it's the interaction that we draw from the audience in, in terms of they're having fun and, and we're having fun performing for them. So there's, it's always, a, you don't want to just continue to produce for sure, even though it costs you less. You don't want to continue to produce in a studio environment, I'll call it, as compared to what you could do. It's, it's, it's certainly more costly uh, on a remote, no doubt about that. But you, you get a lot of, uh, uh, I guess, maybe intangibles. You get a, a lot of things that, in a live audience, obviously merchandising, yada, yada. But nonetheless, you know, performers, I have to uh, give kudos to all of our performers. They're working so hard. So that's my best guess, is that it was the fewer live events that would have lost the company even more money. And it's the fact that they ran TV in the second half of March at a much more cost-effective rate. Now, Q2 will be different. Q2 took out all the money they would have gained from running WrestleMania in Tampa Bay. But in many ways, this company is more profitable due to the COVID-19 crisis. In fact, in the Q&A, which we'll be pulling a lot of clips from here today, in the Q&A, Vince McMahon was asked about what the future of his business would be like. What, what lessons has he learned so far? from the forced experiments of COVID-19. And Vince McMahon's answer brings into question, I think, the future of live events, and I think more specifically, the future of North American house shows in a post-coronavirus world. Well, I, firstly, I don't know that we're going to be in the, quote, live event business as we were before. I think you know, no one can predict what's going to happen here. Uh, we're ready if, <laughs> if it's allowed. Uh, but I think that's one of the things that going forward, I think it's going to take a while for consumers to uh, to want to come out and put 70,000 people in MetLife Stadium or, you know, 5,000 people in an arena. Uh, I think there's a, a different learned behavior that people have now in terms of a consumer. And we need, if anyone can figure it out, we will. So, we again, we're highly adaptable, as you've seen through the years, and whatever happens, we're, we're there. And... Uh, I think it's going to be more uh, more content oriented, um, heavily marketed, uh, and in terms of not live events, but more in terms of programming and, and social and digital media, which are, are way up. There are a lot of things we can do there. So it's a it's a creative environment, is the way I look at it. And obviously, it's not a problem; it's an opportunity, right? But it really is. Thanks, Vince. And why not? In the last seven quarters. Five out of seven of them in the live events division have reported a negative operating income. Now, we don't know, but I believe that's largely driven by house shows. So why not run fewer of them? Lose less money, keep wrestlers off the road, keep them healthier, 
maybe raise their morale by allowing them to spend more time at home, lower their travel expenses, which you don't cover anyway. Well, I guess the wrestlers will get paid less because they won't be getting house show fees if they're not performing on house shows. But then the Wrestlers Association will demand that there's a raise in everyone's downside. Never mind, there isn't a Wrestlers Association. But anyway, we're talking about WWE profitability. And WWE just laid off a lot of employees and talent and did a lot of cost cutting. I believe that WWE is still going to set its profit records in 2020. But I know what you're thinking. The, the largest piece of money that WWE has is its TV rights fees related to Raw and SmackDown. And you know what? Come on now. We're in the middle of a pandemic the TV networks have got to be hurting right now. Advertising has got to be plummeting. Maybe the TV rights money is at jeopardy. Maybe Fox and NBC Universal have told WWE, watch out, we might have to cut your money. And that all justifies laying people off in the middle of a pandemic when there aren't any other jobs to get. It all justifies it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and just to follow up, you guys talked a lot about Raw and SmackDown and what you're doing there. Is there any risk that we need to be thinking about that your broadcast partners, you know, say this isn't the product that I agreed to pay for because there is no live audience. I realize they're probably thrilled that they've got anything. Um, but you mentioned it's a different product before. So just curious if we need to think about that potential with your partners. You know, our, our partners obviously are not doing as well as, as they would like to, nor are we. Um, but as far as the, the content is concerned, they totally get, you know, it's not our fault. It's not anyone's fault. You know, you're not performing in front of the audience, but uh, they've lauded what we're doing because, again, as you just said, there's nothing out there now. You know, we're live sometimes, we're, we're taped sometimes, and, you know, we have a, a, a lot of a, a really good relationship with both, uh, both partners, and, and they have our backs, as we do theirs. Great. Thank you. Well, all right, but, but, but this is only Q1, okay? This is only January to March. The pandemic had only kicked in halfway through the end of March, about a sixth of this quarter. But we're, as we speak now in April, in Q2. Q2 is going to be a full quarter of pandemic. And you just can't know that WWE is going to be profitable in Q2 or in the future. I mean, they lost WrestleMania money, okay? WWE had to do cost-cutting to protect itself. And secondly, understanding that visibility is very limited and, you know, makes sense to withdraw guidance. Um, just wondering if you'd be willing to sort of give a little bit of perspective on 2Q, you know, all things remaining equal right now, um, considering you didn't have a WrestleMania in front of fans, that historically that has cost you about 15 to, or that represents about 15 to $20 million of EBITDA. If you look at where last year was and that, then you take out all the live events. Is it proper to think that 2Q should be profitable? Yeah, I believe based on the cost reductions, it's, you know, again, you know, we're not in a position right now to give guides, mainly because of uncertainty on the revenue side. But, um, right. you know, if you assume everything else equal and, it, uh, you know, it, based on the cost reductions, yes, it should be profitable. That's interim CFO Frank Riddick taking that question, saying W will still be profitable in Q2, even though they're not delivering any guidance on what exactly that profit will be. So W executives here saying W is quite profitable in Q1. W will be profitable in Q2. So the, the layoffs, the furloughs, the cost cutting, pausing the stock buyback program. I mean, come on. There's, there's only so much we can really know about W. I know it's a publicly traded company, but there's still a lot we don't know. 
about the company. You just can't judge. I mean, there's got to be something else that they're bracing for here. You know, W doesn't even have a lot of debt. So analyst Jason Bazinet asks the high-level question. Some of the actions that you've taken regarding, like, the drawdown on the revolver and the lack of buybacks and the reduction in sort of your CapEx guidance, um, it all sort of, for a company that doesn't have a lot of debt, it seems like a lot of aggressive actions, candidly, to me. And so it makes me think that maybe I'm underestimating the quantum of the cash burn or that you guys are anticipating through the balance of the year, or there's some sort of exogenous risk that you guys see outside of the live events and consumer products degradation, which I think is sort of obvious. So it, it, can you provide color, color on either of those two fronts? I, I, just don't, I just don't know if you guys are a very risk-averse company or if there's something more dour that's about ready to happen. <laughs> Any color? Well, I think, I think you know, over, overall... You know, we are concerned about the uncertainty of the impacts of, you know, additional government regulations or changes in societal behavior around COVID and how long it will last. So we wanted to be, you know, we, since we don't know that, um, you know, we, we felt like we needed to be maybe overly cautious, if you will, or overly conservative to try to make sure that we had adequate financial resources to adapt the business however it needed to be adapted. Um, and whatever opportunities might put themselves in front of us. And so in an, I would say maybe in an abundance of caution, uh, because, you know, if you, if you look at the cash flow in the first quarter uh, with the changes that we've made in capital spending going forward, you know, we're, we, we don't see anything right now that would result in a huge use of cash. But, you know, we don't know what the outlook, we don't know what the, you know, market's going to look like or the performance is going to look like in the next few quarters because we don't know what the impact of COVID is going to be. As soon as we know that, you know, we'll have a better idea of how to model it. So we've been very cautious. And the old expression of cash is king. Again, it's like we have no debt. Uh, we're not looking, as Frank said, to you know, buy some crazy something. We're just we're making certain, you know, that we are being conservative. And as Frank said, maybe overly cautious. That's what it is. Okay. Thank you. They're just being overly cautious. Frank Riddick and Vince McMahon say. Some 25, 30 wrestlers, unknown number of employees, their lives thrust into uncertainty at a time of increasing unemployment. So if you're an employer out there looking to make some hires, there are great candidates there, some of them from Stanford, Connecticut. But as everyone knows, finding them is the challenge. Hiring is challenging. But there's one place you can go where hiring is simple. It's fast and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualify candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites. That's amazing, but they don't stop there. ZipRecruiter has powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find the people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. You can even add screening questions to your job listing so you can filter candidates and focus on the best ones. In fact, ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. That's right, the first day. And get this, guess what? Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. Our listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. VOW is in the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW again. ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. Try it for free. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. No news, by the way, on this conference call or anywhere in the earnings report about a, a search, an update on the search for a new CFO 
a new CMO, Michelle Wilson and George Berrios, the co-presidents, were ousted back in late January, I think. Yeah, late January. So Vince McMahon, if you're looking to get some fantastic candidates to refill that C-suite, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. But in other important news that we learned on this call, Riddick and Vince affirmed that W is still in the business of shopping its pay-per-view rights. I'm calling them pay-per-view rights. They don't use that term. They prefer to talk about a transformational change. So the WWE Network or selling the content that's related to the WWE Network. We continue to believe in the viability of, an al- of alternative strategic options for WWE Network. Our confidence is based on our discussions with multiple potential partners and consideration of broader media industry factors, such as the evolution of new streaming services and the increasing value of live sports content. As our potential partners have been impacted by COVID-19, these discussions have been extended. Currently, we're unable to estimate when an alternative option will be completed, but still believe the potential for a transformative transaction is possible. So it sounds like it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. I would guess this happens sometime, maybe in 2020 or so. I think the likely scenario is that WWE ends up with a deal that delivers more revenue and more profit than their current situation with the W Network. And this is the move, by the way, that I believe is probably at the heart of the disagreement between Vince McMahon and his former co-presidents, George Barrios and Michelle Wilson, where I believe that the people who really pitched the network, and I believe Vince McMahon saw the year-over-year declines in W Network subscribers, a streaming platform that at one point had been projected by WWE to acquire three to four million, stuck at one and a half million. And Vince has decided to go ahead and maybe take the pay-per-views off of the network and talk to major streaming players. And those negotiations, according to WWE, are just kind of on hold now because of the pandemic. Vince put it quite aptly. I think maybe the COVID-19 stuff caught everybody with their pants down. Uh, We had a number of individuals that were very interested uh, in our network, of course, and just when you think you're getting close, um, you know, the bottom fell out. Very close with a number of individuals that, that really want on our network, on the other hand, we're continuing to invest in it with a, a free tier. Uh, we um, are going to do any number of improvements and what have you and, and different marketing for it. So um, it, it's a, a complete go from the standpoint of not doing anything with anyone else, just doing it, it right uh, here. And if something happens with someone else after this COVID-19 is, is over and they look at their balance sheet, et cetera, et cetera then, you know, that will happen too. And speaking of the W Network, we did learn, as I hoped we might, the day after WrestleMania subscriber numbers for the W Network. And those numbers, unbeknownst to interim CFO Frank Riddick and MKM partners, I think it's Eric Handler, those numbers are listed in WWE's own published KPIs. And our next question comes from Eric Handler of MKM Partner. Thank you very much. A um, couple of clarifications, hoping you can uh, want to give a little bit more perspective. Um, first, with your WrestleMania or your post-WrestleMania WWE Network subs of 2.1 million members, are those all paid, or is that, uh, does that include free subs as well? That includes free subs. That includes free subs. Are you willing to give what the number is just on a paid, uh, paid uh, perspective? No, not right now. We're not. Okay. But I'll give it to you, Eric, because it's right here on corporate.we.com when you click on key performance indicators. So WrestleMania 36 
on April 6, 2020. That's the Monday, the day after WrestleMania. Paid subscribers is 1.622 million. Free subscribers, 476,000. So there's a great deal of celebration in the WWE press release about how many social media engagements and how many subscribers the WWE Network had attracted related to WrestleMania. I feel that's all kind of a lot of mumbo-jumbo, and I'm not going to focus too much on it because I don't know what kind of context to even put it in. People were very engaged with WWE more than ever before, apparently. It kind of makes sense when you do it over two days, and you do some really unusual stuff like the mini-movies we saw at WrestleMania. But anyway, the key here is that, yes, WrestleMania 36, this most recent WrestleMania, I lose track of the numbers, the most recent WrestleMania in 2020, the total number of subscribers on the day after was higher than it was last year, but in that number, we're including free subs. So the number of paid subscribers is actually trending downward for the second year in a row. But the number of free subs doubled versus last year. So to put it in greater context, WrestleMania 2018 does 1.8 million subs. Excuse me, 1.8 million paid subs. 2019 does 1.767 million paid subs. So lower than the year before, slightly. The year after that, this year, WrestleMania does 1.622 million subs. So down by over 100,000. The free subs in 2018, 316,000. In 2019, free subs, 233,000. And this year, the free subs doubling from the year prior, more than doubling, to 476,000 subs. Why? I would guess that there was more of a promotion around the free subscription program. I know there was some sort of special access being given to the library that I believe you could get without even entering your credit card. Maybe the promotion on ESPN where they replayed three WrestleManias in the weeks leading up to WrestleMania. Maybe that was a factor as well. Maybe the FS1 broadcasts of W Library content. Maybe the Quibi, they said, was a factor as well. They had a they had the, the Fight Like a Girl series on Quibi with profile pieces on female superstars. Quibi is the new shorter form video streaming platform. But as for average paid subscribers in the quarter, the, the really the key metric that we really look at to assess what the network's doing, that is you take the, the daily average across the entire three months, you know, every single day, average it up the number of paid subscribers you have on each day, that really gives you a clear idea of how much money the network is generating. So average paid subscribers for Q1 down from the year prior, 1.461 million, down from last year's 1.584 million. Anyway, this is the fourth quarter in a row that the network has year-over-year decline in average paid subscribers. Same trend in, in domestic paid subscribers, subscribers from the U.S., down in year-over-year comparisons for the fourth quarter in a row. And W doesn't publish the international number of subscribers, but we can deduce it from the numbers that we have in terms of total and domestic. Average paid subscribers from international markets, 408,000, and that too is down for the fourth consecutive quarter in year-over-year comparisons. And a free tier to the W Network, something that George Barrios had been talking about a long time ago, along with the idea of a premium tier. We don't hear much about that, but we did hear about a, a free tier, a free tier that Frank Riddick says is coming out in Q4 sometime. Um, the second timing of the free tier on the WWE Network? 
current thinking is in some current thinking is sometime in the fourth quarter. Um, I mean, we already tried, you know, put it out around WrestleMania. We'll, uh, in terms of, you know, the putting it out there with a uh, revenue model that we might use with it sometime, sometime in the fourth quarter, I think is the current plan. And a revenue model he's probably referring to must be advertising. But as we talk about the trends in W Network subscribers, particularly paid subscribers, it is another one of the instances where we see that the, the trends in W's business that relate to actual consumer sales, we see those in a consistent pattern of decline, despite the fact that W is increasingly profitable, is driving increasing revenues, largely driven by increasing TV rights fees, as well as a $100 million per year deal with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia but mainly guaranteed escalating TV rights fees from U.S. TV partners and partners all over the world. But when it comes to ticket sales, total attendance in Q1 was down, but average attendance actually was up. Average attendance up to 6,300 per event, up from 4,800 in, in the Q1 prior. So an increase in average attendance. Total attendance, though, again, is down because WWE ran less than half as many events in this Q1, running 41 events versus 90 events in the Q1 of 2019. Now, of course, because of COVID-19, W had to cancel 18 of its events. So without the pandemic, they would have ended up with 59 events, still down quite a bit from the year prior. And that average is up probably because they ran fewer house shows. Of course, W's not cutting any of its TV uh, or live events in the quarter. So if they're running fewer events, they must be running fewer events because they're running fewer house shows. And house shows tend to be the events that are attended less in comparison to the TV events. And that makes sense that the North American average attendance per show would be up when you're comparing it to a Q1 of 2019 where there were far more house shows. So even if you ruled out the the half of half a month where there was a COVID-19 effect and W couldn't sell any tickets. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value a complete view of all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs. And it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. 
But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Total attendance would be down just by virtue of running fewer events regardless of the pandemic. So that consumer metric is down. What we really need to see to see a fair comparison is a comparison of media events or TV events, the average attendance of those events versus the average attendance of TV or media events in, in the prior quarter year. We basically need house show events and TV slash pay-per-views separated out and we need to compare those averages to get a truly fair comparison. I think it's I think it's very likely, though, that average attendances in those categories is about the same, maybe a little bit higher, maybe a little bit lower than the Q1 of the prior year. Other consumer metrics, revenues that don't come from partnerships with other businesses, but come from the sales of actual people. Or, excuse me, I meant no disrespect. I, I do remember Citizens United versus the FEC. Corporations are, are people too. But um, human individuals, consumers, excuse me. Venue merchandise revenue was down to $3.2 million versus $4.8 million in the Q1 prior. But, of course, that's just the function of attendance. There being fewer attendees out there to offer venue merchandise to. So we won't take that too seriously. And in fact, venue merchandise spending per capita, which they do give in the quarterly report, that was up slightly, up 9%. The average ticket goer is spending $10.41 per person compared to $9.51 in the Q1 of 2019. You know, I never said 20 in, when I was talking about the year until now it's 2020, right? Because it just, uh, just feels more cumbersome to say 2020 when you can say 2020 i think it's retroactively changing my uh my habits about all the years prior 2019 god i'm such a highfalutin elitist but all right wb shop in q1 2020 six million dollars in sales down slightly from 6.6 million dollars in sales in the year prior that's because the number of orders was fewer the number of orders dropped by 15 percent Last year, it was 141,000. This year, 120,000. Although the average order was up slightly, up 6%. Q1 2019, $46.50. $3 higher in this year, $49.49. And then the consumer product licensing segment, that's largely things like toys, action figures, video games, mobile games. And even that was down in a year-over-year comparison. $9.5 million last year, $7.7 million this year, a difference 
of negative 18%, primarily driven by lower royalties from the sale of our toys and video games. And Frank Riddick said it himself. And he noted that the entire consumer products division, which includes the categories that I just discussed, it was less profitable in this Q1 versus the Q1 of 2019. In our consumer products segment, the Justo Web declined 2.2 million, reflecting lower royalties from the sale of toys and video games in retail, as well as lower sales of merchandise, both online and at our venues. So again, consumer metrics, the things that you look at to, to figure out whether or not WB is getting more or less popular. Really, all of those areas seem to be down. TV viewership, we'll talk about that in a minute. Of course, I think that's a little bit harder to look at because TV is, is weird in that TV overall, people are watching less TV, especially younger people. One area that is up, though, is video consumption. Online video consumption has been up and trending upward for quite some time. Of course, this is a newer form of media, and people are adopting it more, and young people are using it more. It's sort of the opposite effect of traditional TV. 344 million global hours viewed. That's up from the Q1 of the year prior. 9.6 billion, billion with a B, Carl Sagan. 9.6 billion video views, up from 7.7 billion in the Q1 of the year prior. But wait, if we look at the fine print here in the WWE KPIs, it explains what goes into producing this number. Because in the fine print, of this page, it says AVOD consumption is defined on page nine. And if we turn to page nine, it tells us where these video views come from. And we've known for quite some time that this includes not just YouTube viewing, but it includes other platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. And in fact, it tells you uh, about the timeline here. It also includes WWE platforms on W.com and the WWE app. And here it explains the 2018 to 2019 figures included Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, YouTube, and WWE platforms. The Q4 2019 figures started to include TikTok, and the 2020 figures include TikTok and Twitch. So while these video views are impressive and growing, the number of platforms that WWE is counting is also growing. In the world of traditional TV, where WWE actually makes most of its money, well, the most money. I think it's, we'll see if it's actually a 50% of its revenue at the end of this year. I think it's going to be close. I don't bother too much to talk about TV ratings here on WrestleNomics. Um, I don't think the micro trends tell us a ton, especially right now in the middle of the pandemic where there's a lot of news watching happening. But even besides that, I think the macro trends are much more informative. And even then, in the case of WB, you're sort of expecting year-over-year declines regardless in the case of SmackDown, everything's, you know, the scales are all out of whack because SmackDown's been across all different nights and all different channels. But anyway, W shows in its KPIs, raw TV ratings down 16%. And breaking news here, I've just realized that W has changed the metric that they're reporting. Isn't this amazing? You're, you're learning things right alongside me here. Big, big news. W is now reporting viewership instead of a TV rating. That is, it's reporting the number of viewers. And in the past, it's been reporting a, a TV household rating, two different kinds. Amazing news here on WrestleNomics Radio. I looked at this, but apparently not that closely. So last year, about, about 2.7 million viewers. This year, 2.2 million viewers for Raw in Q1. That's a decline of 16%. Not as bad as the USA Network, which was down 29% in the period. But the top 25 cable networks, only down 5%. So Raw suffering not as badly as the USA Network in general, but worse than top 25 cable. 
So I think these numbers should match up to Showbiz Daily. We'll investigate it in the future. SmackDown in a year-over-year comparison is up 16%, but of course that's because you're, com- you're comparing SmackDown being broadcast on Fox versus SmackDown on the USA Network. And Fox has a substantially better reach than the USA Network. Theoretically, SmackDown should have been benefited from all the promotion it got, especially around the Super Bowl. We didn't really see micro-trends that bear that out, but uh, maybe these are things that the analysts could ask about. Anyway, SmackDown up 16%. Somehow the Fox Broadcast Network is up 36%. And in this slide, they compare it to the top four broadcast networks. That must be NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox. That was down by 6%. Now, all this is just covering Q1, January to March. And Vince, earlier in the conference call, had sort of made the case that, you know, despite COVID-19, the ratings were really holding up. And at least one of the analysts brought up that we're seeing some, as they call it, softness in the ratings and the viewership. And Vince was pretty open about that and, and, and was honest. He didn't, didn't try to tell anybody otherwise. We do see quite a bit of weakening of the viewership here this far into April. You know, ratings for both Raw and SmackDown have uh, appeared soft here uh, the past couple weeks, which is a bit surprising since you guys are, you know, basically the only live sports content on television. Um, you know, do you have any idea why this is the case, and and could you maybe, um, you know, um, discuss some of the steps you're taking to uh, um, reverse this? Sure. Um, in terms of the why, uh, it, it goes back to the product itself, and uh, we are the only. You're right sports environment at, at the moment and uh but again it's a it's a different it's a different feel completely you know in front of a live audience we were the first quote sports to uh, have interaction you know with live audiences many many years ago it was yay boo and that's the first interaction um and we don't have that now but we're doing really well uh, i think beyond anyone's expectations actually by doing uh the show with without an audience and everything we do is about the audience and how they react and the way you read them and, and the fun and what have you that, that they all have by coming to a WWE event so that's that's really uh, I think why and we need to be able to figure out ways which we are uh, and that uh, we will hear uh, the performers you know putting the bad mouth on each other and so forth which you never hear before you know um, minimize uh, some of the more uh, creative words, we'll say, but nonetheless, uh, there there are advantages, and we can go outside of uh, of the, of the uh, environment too, so we don't just stay there for two or three matches. You need need some relief there, in one form or another. We're figuring that out as well. A lot of things to figure out in this sort of environment. What can you do, and what resonates, and things of that nature. So it's really it's brand new for us and for anyone. So um, there's no audience, and it's a it's a different show. Completely different show. And I think we're going to get there with it. We may be able to take this negative and already turn it into somewhat of a positive as far as um, ratings and whatever you're concerned. Um, SmackDown has virtually been no change, very little. Raw has suffered, uh, but not necessarily because of the environment. It's suffered because uh, we bring in a lot of new talent uh, into Raw. And it takes a while to get these new talents over. We no longer have Brock Lesnar, obviously, but we have a new champion and uh, and a lot of new performers coming in. So it takes a while. So that's the reason and how you use those performers in this story or that story or what have you. So with new talent, it, it's just going to 
take a little while. I'm convinced though that Raw's ratings are going to bounce back considerably. Listening back to that, maybe I was giving Vince a little bit too much credit there. I know I, I don't agree with that. I don't think that ratings are going to bounce back. I think ratings are going to, or should I say viewership? That's what we're looking at here. But I, I think TV viewership is going to continue to leak the longer that, uh, I mean, they're going to continue to decline regardless because that's maybe that's just the nature of TV, but that's sort of the nature of W programming and the creative aspect and the star building aspect. But my point is the longer that WWE does events that are not in sports arenas filled with fans that don't have to socially distance or whatever, TV viewership is going to cl- decline at a greater rate than it would otherwise. And I think it's going to be hard for WWE to win people back when things do return to normal. And again, I don't know any better alternative, but I think that's a problem and a challenge. I think the explanation that, well, they just have new talent that they haven't gotten over yet, and they have a new champion that I can't, I can't even mention his name, Drew McIntyre. And we don't have Brock Lesnar, whose name I can mention. I, don't know, I, th- I think this is where we're getting close to the core of the issue of many of WWE's problems, which is not an issue that the analysts understand or acknowledge that WWE's business can be maximized if its ability to create stars is maximized, and it's nowhere near that. And I'm sorry if this sounds more like a regular wrestling podcast, but this is, this is an economic issue, and this is the core of it. WWE's creative team, headed by Vince McMahon, is in year four or five of trying to create a new star to replace the increasing absence of John Cena. And consumer metrics continue to fall the longer we go on this journey without a genuine difference-making star. And I, I just see absolutely no hope that that's ever going to happen while creative is headed by Vince McMahon. And I think there should be an analyst on every call that asks about if there's any thought to putting Paul Levesque in the head of creative and having Vince McMahon focus on other aspects of the business more. Because I think doing so would be a move that better serves shareholder interests, particularly over the long term. And WWE, COVID-19 aside, is bleeding fans with every month and year that goes by with Vince McMahon still in charge of creative. But the TV rights are fine. And in fact, the Saudi Arabia deal, even if they don't get to do a, a, a second show that they're due to do in 2020... Don't worry, they're not going to miss out on an extra $50 million from the Saudis. They'll tack it on to the deal. As far as Saudi's concerned, um, there is, they want to have, I'll get, I'll, I'll get back to your question in a second, but they would love to have our, uh, another huge event, WrestleMania-type event. We normally have two uh, per year in Saudi. Uh, they, of course, are under the same constraints as we are here in the United States and everyone else is in this pandemic. So they are not too sure they're going to be able to you know, uh, give us the okay to perform in November or December. They really want us to because it, it represents a, a big, you know, huge turn in what's allowed, what's not allowed as far as live events concerned. So, but the good part about that is if, in fact, we don't perform, um, we'll just tack on that event on the backside of our, of our contract. So we're not going to lose the money. Um, and again, it's, everyone is having to deal with this pandemic in one way or another, but we're fortunate that we would just move another event on the other side of our 10-year agreement. Vince also added that the MENA TV rights deal, which is also something that they're negotiating with the Saudi government, uh, the Saudi government owns the TV network MBC. They still have not completed that deal. Mr. McMahon says it's going slowly, but he still expects it to get done. This would replace the old OSN deal that they had 
in that region. It was also made clear by uh, interim CFO Frank Riddick that the increase in the TV deal with India, with Sony, that was not in effect in Q1, and that will go into effect in Q2. So another small piece that will help WB be more profitable than it would be otherwise. The increase in TV rights in India, the new deal is an increase of 1.8x, according to the sports intelligence website, Sports Business. And with that, India exceeds the UK to become WB's number two TV market. By the way, if you were to guess, on average, how many days would you say that people have to wait in the United States to see a doctor? What would you say? Americans have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. That is terrible. So if you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment as soon as possible. And our friends, that's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed into your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment that you need on your schedule. Grab your phone or your computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with a free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or just want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel at any time. If you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash V-O-W for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash V-O-W, V-O-W as in Voices of Wrestling, because we're on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Go to GetRoman.com slash V-O-W for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Vince McMahon also noted on this call that in case Florida, for some reason, no longer deems WWE to be an essential business. By the way, I wrote an article on WrestleNomics.com this past week explaining why I think that WWE being deemed an essential business in Florida was probably not the result of a political bribe. But anyway, Vince made it clear that even if Florida changes its mind, there are other states out there that will take WWE. Clearly, Florida has deemed an essential business here. Um, if there's a scenario where they do a 180 and you know production unfortunately gets shut down, um, can you talk a little bit about maybe backup plans to continue filming? Do you have other locations available? Yes, we do. A number of them in a number of states uh, that would welcome us. In other news, I'm sure this will break the hearts of many gamers out there. There will be no WWE 2K game this year. Took Vince a second to figure out what was being asked, but Frank took over. You have an annual uh, wrestling game. Is, is that in your budget this year? What's in your budget? The uh, 2K21 WWE game with Take Two. Is that in your budget this year? I think we can handle that one. Yeah, no, there's not, there's not going to be a, a launch of a game this year. And finally, Let's talk about talent morale. Let's talk about, is WWE doing a good enough job keeping the environment safe for all involved? And let's talk about the magic surface cleaner that Paul Levesque has procured to fight the coronavirus epidemic. Uh, we sort of have a pandemic cleaning, I guess you would say, on a very frequent basis. Uh, the Clorox 360 stuff. But we have something uh, additional as well. And uh, all of that is on the call. Paul, tell us what the, that new stuff you did was. What's that? So it's a company called um, Allied Bioscience that we work through. They have a spray that is um, 
there's, there's a process which makes it cling to surfaces. Um, and that the surface, once it's coated with this, it lasts for 90 to 120 days. And it acts like it, uh, sort of how it was explained to me, it acts like a sword that punctures the cell wall of the virus uh, or what causes the virus and kills it on contact. And that lasts for 190 days. And it, I mean, the 90 to 120 days. And it lasts through even the other cleaning and, and various levels of everything we're doing. So we've, um, you know, coated our facilities, the performance centers, all our warehouses, even our production trucks with all of that. Um, in addition to what Vin said is that uh, the level of cleaning every single usage and cleaning between everything. And we're taking every precaution that we have been advised um, is a best practice to take. And, and then some. So that's about all. There's always many things that we could have discussed or analysts more specifically could have asked about. No discussion, no questions whatsoever about the XFL, which just filed for bankruptcy. No questions about whether WWE would have any trouble collecting any payments that they may have had outstanding related to the XFL. Even the bankruptcy filing does say that they're all paid up on support services to WWE, or rather from WWE. No discussion on whether there's any update on a, on a hiring of a new CFO and CMO. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. No discussion on the value of the NXT TV rights with the USA Network. And no update on Paul Levesque's global localization strategy. Are they going to Japan? Which has been reported elsewhere. I think the Observer. No questions about whether it's worth it to continue investing all this money in the Performance Center in Orlando and the Performance Center in the UK and all the talent that goes along with it all the workers that go along with it, what's the return that they're getting in exchange for that? Is it really the 30 to $60 million that has been speculated about? Is it less? Is it more? Who knows? Why among the releases, were there no NXT UK talents released that we're aware of? Could it be that, in fact, maybe it's harder to release people from contracts in the United Kingdom because of UK labor laws, the kind of which aren't, aren't present in the free United States of America. And by the way, W has a lot of international talent, a lot of talent that they probably have to provide work visas for. Does President Donald Trump's executive order limiting immigration, is that going to make it difficult for WWE to renew the working visas of some of its international talent? But on the whole, a great day for W investors. Again, W exceeded the revenue and profit metrics that the analysts who spend their days trying to figure out how much money WWE is going to report, they exceeded those expectations. The stock price is up 15%. WWE's US TV partners have their back. We didn't get any hint that TV rights fees are at risk. The Saudi money for events there, if they don't get, in, get it in 2020, they're going to get it as part of the deal at some point. Maybe they'll do three events in some year. Maybe this becomes a 10 and a half year deal. And can you believe at the moment the TV that they're producing is more profitable than the TV that they normally produce out of major sports arenas? The WWE Network subscribers haven't collapsed. They are down year over year. A pay-per-view rights deal seems imminent after the pandemic clears. So what's the deal with what analyst Jason Bazinet called all of WWE's aggressive actions to cut costs and protect cash flow? They're just being overly cautious says Vince and Frank Riddick. And I would question not just whether it's morally justifiable to lay all those people off in the middle of a pandemic when it's going to be very difficult to get another job right now. 
but whether it's worth it, and indeed whether people in WWE even recognize that it's an issue, that this is another instance of a story where WWE and Vince McMahon seems like a heartless person who, despite some thinly veiled appearances, doesn't care that much about anything besides his own standing and his own power as a businessman. It's a PR hit whether you agree with that notion or not. And I don't believe it's a negligible subset of fans or people who are aware of the story. It's not everyone, but it's significant. It's another story among the countless, small and large, that lead the average wrestling fan and average consumer to distrust the brand. And I don't know, especially after seeing the reports that we saw on Thursday, I don't know that refraining from the layoffs makes WWE significantly more profitable. I question whether the layoffs make any significant positive difference to the stock price. What's the savings of a few million dollars per month when you're saving probably a lot more by running TV in the Performance Center and basically a studio rather than a sports arena? When you're saving additional, probably millions, by not running house shows? I don't know. We'll see in Q2. That covers the period of April, May, and June. Expect that sometime late July or early August. So until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks to Wade Keller of the PW Torch for having me on his podcast to talk just after the uh, Q1 report had come out. Did that last night. You can find that on the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast on whatever podcast app. You can read my written work at WrestleNomics.com and find a load of resources there as well. You can follow me at Brandon Thurston. You can follow WrestleNomics at WrestleNomics. And thanks to the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network for being my media partner. And I'll talk to everybody next time. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, everyone. We appreciate you. you listening. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to contact us. Thank you. And again, that does conclude the call. We'd like to thank everyone for your participation. You may now disconnect.